We're going to be in Acts chapter 12 this morning. I invite you to find that in your Bible and or smartphone, something else that's smart that you have. Some of you know that I just happen to be a lifelong New York Yankee fan at great risk knowing that some of you will stop listening at this point, I'd like to share uh, uh, something significant from my past experience. In the neighborhood I grew up in, uh, one of the baseball legends' names was Joe DiMaggio, and uh, he played 13 seasons for the New York Yankees. That's fairly significant, and it's not long for a legend. It's a short time for a legend in baseball. But he made the all-star team all 13 years. Uh, He won the most valuable player three times and had a lifetime batting average of 325. He's best known among baseball fans for his 56-game hitting streak, which has never been really approached in modern history. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1955. His career was shortened by World War II and... He did not play baseball in 1943, 44, and 45 because of the Army. In 2009, the Wall Street Journal carried an article that described a story of in, uh, in the life of Jolton Joe DiMaggio, who was also called the Yankee Clipper. And here's the, here's the note. It was the summer of 1945, and World War II had just ended. Former soldiers including famous baseball stars, stream back into America and American life. Yankee slugger Joe DiMaggio was trying to be Yankee Joe DiMaggio, the baseball fan. He sneaked into Yankee Stadium with his four-year-old son, Joe Jr., before he rejoined the team publicly. A fan noticed him there, then another... And soon, throughout the stadium, people were chanting, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. DiMaggio was moved. He gazed down to see if his son had noticed the tribute, and he had. Joe Jr. said, See, Daddy, everybody knows me. (laughs) Now, Joe, Joe Jr. made an innocent mistake assuming that all the glory in Yankee Stadium on that day was for him. We make a far less innocent mistake when we live as if our lives are only about us. When we think this is for us, that everything is for us, rather than that everything is for Him, for our Heavenly Father, and for His glory. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, uh, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and hearts and foolish hearts were darkened. In Acts chapter 12, we're going to see a perfect example of one who wants to take credit for credit that belonged to God. Let's look at our passage, Acts chapter 12. We're going to start with uh, Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. 
And here's how it begins. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. In verses 1 through 5, we see how obstacles impact God's work. How obstacles impact God's work. And we see uh, the persecution in verse 1. The church is persecuted. It was about this time that King Herod... Now, let's stop and talk about Herod. Uh, There was Herod the Great, and he was the Herod. That's like a family surname. He was the Herod that uh, tried to kill baby Jesus after Jesus was born. The wise men went to him. And then there was Herod Antipas, and he was the Herod alive when Jesus was crucified. This is Herod Agrippa I. And he is a king also now. And he is Herod's great-grandson. And Herod Antipas was his uncle. Herod Agrippa I, this Herod, was sympathetic to the Jews. He, he, he had uh, some Jewish background. He was partially Jewish. He regretted that he was only partially Jewish. And he was also very sympathetic to the Romans in Rome. And he was all about um, whatever it takes to be successful. And uh, he was a shrewd politician. And he wanted to look good to the Jewish citizens, so he sought to persecute the church. King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. There was already a persecution had broken out in Acts chapter 8. You remember Stephen was stoned to death. In verse 2, we see an execution. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This is serious. Herod arrested James, one of the apostles, one of the twelve who had been with Jesus, one of the main leaders in the church, and he had him put to death by the sword. He was executed, and this probably means his head was cut off with a sword. So um, the church is in a huge crisis. There have been threats. There have been pressure. There's been some persecution. Now we have execution. This is serious. It went right after one of the top dogs in Jerusalem. Uh, James, the brother of John. This is, Jesus often spent time with three disciples with extra focus in training for leadership. Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. This is that James, and he has been executed. There is another James, and we're going to meet him in just a little bit. And um, he's the half-brother of Jesus. So this is extremely harsh. The church is in a severe crisis. Verses 3 and 4, we see 
Peter is imprisoned. When he saw that this meant with approval among the Jews, that's what he was trying to do. He didn't really care about the church, but he wanted uh, to help the Jews and uh, be admired by them. And uh, this is all about his political uh, career. So when he saw this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Hey, why not just go after the top dog? Peter is the most important leader in Jerusalem. He's been the lead. He stood up on Acts 2. He preached and 3,000 were saved. God sort of uh, appointed Peter to be the, the lead guy for this time period. So Herod just, I'm just going to go right after and get the top one. And we're going to make an example right here. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. The festival of the unleavened bread was a, was an important celebration that followed the day of Passover. And sometimes, it, so it's seven days, and Passover is one day. And sometimes all eight days together are called the Passover. We're going to see that in just a second. After arresting him, Herod arrested Peter. He put him into prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Now, how about that? One prisoner, 16 soldiers to guard him 24-7. Four on at a time. One chained to his right arm, one chained to his left arm, and two guarding the door. And they changed every three to six hours. Now, Herod wasn't going to take any chances. Peter had already been put into prison in Jerusalem as a Christian, and he'd already escaped once. Not only that, Jesus was placed in a tomb in Jerusalem, and his body got away. And we are not going to have that again. So we've got 16 soldiers guarding Peter. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover. The Passover, and this is all eight days together. The Passover, Feast of the Unleavened Bread, eight days total. So these are holy days. Peter got arrested during those days, but he's not, Herod's not about to execute him on those holy days. He doesn't, he doesn't want to stir up the Jewish people. He wants to impress the Jewish people, so he is going to wait until afterwards. Verse 5, we see the motivation of the church. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. James was arrested, executed. Now Peter has been arrested. This is scary. It happened so fast here. Uh, this would scare those people to death. They're going to annihilate all the Christians in Jerusalem. And the early church understood that God wanted them to pray and that prayer Please, God. And the early church understood that prayer engages God in the everyday activity of life. God wants us to pray about the little things, and God wants us to pray about the big things, and these are big things. Prayer was this spiritual principle that God designed in the universe for us so we can connect with what he's doing. We can be a part of the solution. Verses 6 through 10. We're going to see Peter rescued. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. 
He was chained, bound with two chains, and sentries stood at the guard at the entrance. And here's Peter. The way this thing is playing out, he's supposed to be executed the next day, and he's asleep. I don't know if you would do that. But there's something about uh, this God situation, and Peter is able to sleep through this at this point. Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. This is a supernatural experience. This is an, a God encounter. You know, angels are God's servants and God's messengers. And angels appear a lot of times in the book of Acts. It's really a, a significant transitional period for the church. And I don't think this is a norm. I don't think it's a norm for today, but it was the norm in the book of Acts. I think there are going to be times in the future that angels are going to be very active. And uh, as, it, as we move toward a time when Jesus is going to return, I think we're going to see a lot of supernatural things. Verse 8, Then the angel said to him, Put your clothes on and sandals. This is like a parent speaking to a kid. Get up, you know, right in the middle of the night. A kid wakes up and on, on. And, and this angel is speaking to Peter. And uh, quick, get up. And the, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. This is what I like about Scripture. Uh, You know, Peter could have looked really smart here. This is an eyewitness account that Peter would have told Luke. Peter's just telling what happened. Peter could have come across, you know, he's really got it together. Um, And he understood everything that was happening. And he could have painted a great picture. But he's just telling the truth here. Peter is clueless about what's happening and how this whole thing came about. But he's going to realize soon. Another thing Peter could have done is that Peter could have told the story a different way. He could have said, well, I overcame the guards and I stole their key. And here I am. That's not what's going to happen. Peter followed him out of the prison followed the angel, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it, and when they walked the length of one street, went a block, suddenly the angel left him. Now Peter is free. He has just experienced his second jailbreak. And he's a little mystified about how this all happened. Verses 11 and 12, we see his release. When Peter came to himself, and I like that honesty on Peter's part, when he came to himself, now I know, without a doubt, that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Peter recognized the credit goes to God. This was a God thing. It was God orchestrated. God is the one who moved to bring him to freedom. Uh, God is the one who delivered him from his enemies and 
Peter's going to give him the credit that's due him. Verse 12, when, he, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Here's a prayer meeting. And Peter's going to go to this safe house where there's a Christian prayer meeting. And we learn that it's Mary's house. And how did people know who Mary was? Which Mary is this? Well, this is John Mark's mother. John Mark was better known than Mary. But by the way, we're just now introduced to John Mark. And this is Luke's way of introducing a player to the book of Acts. Because we're going to learn a lot more about John Mark. And John Mark is the one we believe wrote the gospel of Mark. And John Mark and Peter uh, most likely gave John Mark most of the eyewitness account for the book of Mark. And John Mark is uh, has has a cousin named Barnabas, and he's going to become a companion of Barnabas and Paul. And we're going to see that verses thirteen through seventeen. We see that Peter is restored. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door, and she left Peter outside. That's another one of those things. This is just how life really does happen. Rhoda's so excited, so emotional. She it's Peter, I know who it is, and they're praying for him. I've got to go tell him. And Peter's still outside knocking. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. That's what the prayer meeting thought. They'd been praying for Peter, and now God answers their prayer, and they don't believe it. And Rhoda, when she kept insisting that this this was so, they said, well, it must be an angel. They come up with their own explanation. It's supernatural, but they don't expect the answer. They don't expect God to free Peter. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So Peter just stays with the door. And sure enough, it was just like Rhoda said, there's Peter. Verse 17, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And so Peter gives credit. He tells them, and and this is going to encourage those believers, that this has been a God thing. They've prayed and God has answered This is a great encouragement. Peter motioned to them. And then he said, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. He said, and he left them for another place. So Peter has explained what God has done. By the way, do you tell others what God has done for you? Do you tell others when God answers your prayer? Do you give him that credit? Do you tell others about who Jesus is and what he's done for you? And that's just what Jesus asks us to do, is to be a witness to this life we have with him. Um, and when we share, when that, and when God gets a credit, God is honored, and other people are encouraged about their relationship with God. And he says, tell James 
This is the Lord's brother, James. Uh, He's not the one who was executed, as you can imagine. But he's James who will become the pillar of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, We're going to see him step out big time in Acts 15. He is now a major player. He's really the one who stepped up. Peter has been traveling a lot. Peter has been an itinerant preacher on the road. And James is the one who has stepped up. We don't know where Peter went. He went to another place. There's a church in Rome who said he went to Rome for 25 years. There's, there's no, absolutely no uh, truth to back that. And um, when he goes to Rome, he's going to go to die. And um, he's going to show up in Acts 15 in Jerusalem. Retaliation, verses 18 and 19 In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. This was a very serious issue for the soldiers. Um, The standard punishment for a soldier who let a prisoner get away was they must receive the punishment due the prisoner. And in this case, the punishment due Peter would have been death, execution, just like James. And so... Uh, there's no small commotion about this. Verse 18, it's not going to, or verse 19, it's not going to last long. After Herod uh, had a thorough search made for Peter and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards in order that they be executed, just like that. And so we don't know if this is this. Does Herod execute four soldiers that were guarding Peter? Uh, some scholars believe no. He had all 16 executed. Uh, for their failure as a, as a team, as a unit. So Herod shows that he means business. Verses 19 through 25, how God removes obstinate people. And we're back to the persecutor, verse 19. This is Herod Agrippa I. Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there, which that verse probably calls for a map. So Herod's been in Jerusalem. His, his uh, palace has, has been in Caesarea, and he goes to Jerusalem, and the Romans are centered in Caesarea also. And so Herod goes to get away from Jerusalem, Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. And then we run to some of Herod's politics, verse 20. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and you probably ought to see a map for that one. So, been in Jerusalem, he goes to Caesarea. Tyre and Sidon are in Syria, so this is not in the land of Israel. And and there are people who need uh, Herod to be on their team. And the reason is they get food from Galilee. And um, Herod's been upset with them, and he's going to cut them off. And they need the grain that, where, that, that's grown in Galilee. And I'm guessing maybe they like the fish there too. And so uh, he'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and now they joined together, and they sought an audience with him. After securing support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, a little of political intrigue here, a little, uh, hey, we'll... Uh, We're going to give you this, Blastus. We just want you to arrange an appointment so we can speak to the king. And they ask for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Verses 21 and 22, we see Herod's pride. 
He wants to impress um, the, these people. And by the way, Josephus, the Jewish historian, records this event. On the day appointed, uh, on the appointed day, Herod, uh, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of God, not of man. And so Herod shows up, and Josephus describes this as Herod was wearing some kind of silver costume. His robe was silver. And in the light, uh, with the sun shining on, it was kind of a glorious image. And then when he gave his message, the people applauded, and they said, this is the voice of God. I don't know if they really had that high a view of, of Herod or not. I think they just wanted Herod to to be on their team and to give what, them what they had hoped to get. But uh, they call Herod God. That's probably made Herod feel good. Verse 23, the punishment immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord, there's the angels are back, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Don't do that, you know. Because Herod did not give praise to God. Because Herod took the credit himself. Glory that belongs only to, be, to God. To be recognized as God. And not to have anything before God. Um, some scholars uh, believe that this, uh, the, the worms were, could have been round worms. We don't really know. Um, I think a technical... I, I think a technical uh, description is ascaris or scarus. It's an infection from round worms. They can grow 10 to 16 inches long. Uh, they can infect the t- intestines, and then they can cycle through the body and then just recycle. And it can be extremely p- painful. And Josephus said that Herod lasted five days and that Herod on his deathbed knew that he was under the judgment of God. Verses 24 and 25, we have a progress report that Luke continues to give in the book of Acts. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Obstacles to the gospel don't stop the gospel. Persecution doesn't stop the gospel. Execution doesn't stop the gospel. God's church flourishes. Probably connected to some of their prayer. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, verse 25. Who were Barnabas and Saul? Where did they come from? They haven't been mentioned today in Acts 12, but they were in Acts 11 at the close of the chapter. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, their mission to Jerusalem, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John also called Mark, and John is going to join their team, and we're going to see that unfold as well. Um, they, they had been at the church, Saul and Barnabas had been at the church in Antioch last week, and there was uh, a famine in Jerusalem, and this Gentile church raised uh, financial resources and sent them to Jerusalem to help the church in Jerusalem that were struggling financially. 
Okay, let's talk about some lessons. First lesson, Christ followers should never be surprised by persecution for the sake of the gospel. We shouldn't be surprised. We don't like persecution. We don't like trouble. We don't like people who don't like Christians. We wish everybody loved us and made our lives easy. But we should never be surprised by persecution for the sake of the gospel. Stephen was arrested and stoned to death. James was arrested and beheaded. Peter was thrown into prison twice. That's just in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 1.29, he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. There's even a, there is even a, this a concept in Scripture that uh, when we follow Christ and identify with Christ, there is a, there's an identification in his suffering, and some believers have experienced that in a very significant way. They suffered for Christ because of Christ and also brought great honor to God through that. So we shouldn't be surprised. Christianity is not about living the American dream. We get confused about that sometimes. If we could just have more things and be a little more comfortable and less problems and just happy, wouldn't that be great? Eh, That's not what life is about. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Peter wasn't surprised. He got arrested. He was going to be executed. You know what? Peter is going to be executed in Rome later, about 67 AD. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory revealed. First Peter really is about a theology of suffering. And, you know, we don't like to talk about that. We don't want to suffer. We just, we like good things. We want to be, and who, who doesn't? Who doesn't like to be comfortable? I just want us to know, Scripture is really clear that it's going to be normal. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens. We just need to be ready. To, how, do we, how do we cope with it? How do we handle it? How do we walk with Christ through this time? Secondly, God sometimes rescues his people supernaturally and sometimes does not. Oh, that's confusing. We like God to rescue all the time, not just part of the time. This is why it's so important to know the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? How does God do this? So many Christians Try God out. They pray a few times, and God doesn't deliver the way they wanted Him to, and so they give up. God doesn't always deliver, He has a different plan. And He's working to bring honor to Himself and honor to Christ because His mission and His glory are more important than our glory and our comfort. God sometimes rescues people. He didn't rescue Stephen. He didn't rescue James. And guess what? Jesus was crucified. He could have been rescued. It was part of God's plan. And thanks be to God that Jesus' crucifixion meant salvation for us. Uh, Thirdly, 
God will execute his justice in dealing with evil people. Count on it. God will execute his justice in dealing with evil people. In our story, Acts chapter 12, God executed some justice on Hera Agrippa I. We're going to meet Herod Agrippa II later in the book of Acts. God executed his justice in dealing with Herod. Herod wanted to accept the worship given to him. God executed justice for taking his place, for persecuting the church, and for taking James's life. However, it does seem that many times evil people get away with evil. And we wonder, where is God? People commit murder. There are people who are greedy. There are people who are physically abuse people and sexually abuse people. And it just doesn't seem fair. I agree. It doesn't seem fair. Here's what the Apostle Paul reminds us of. Romans chapter 12. He says, Do not repay evil for evil. It's really not our job. Now, I believe we have, God has given us government, and he's appointed government to take care of evil. A government doesn't always do the perfect job. That's granted. It didn't do the perfect job in the first century either. And yet, uh, we are given, we're told that in Romans 13. Do not repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And here's what I wanted to see. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. Next slide. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, do not take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. God is going to judge evil. Totally. It's yet future. We're not in heaven yet. That's yet future. God is going to judge evil. And by faith, we need to entrust his judgment. That doesn't mean we can't get involved in solutions and we can't get involved in justice. We should. But we're not the ones to repay. We're not the final judge. Uh, this is very radical. This is very Christian, and it's very Christ-like. Number four, last one. Prayer plugs us into God's answers. Prayer plugs us into God's answers. Prayer engages God. And God has given us the privilege of prayer to connect with him, to connect with his work, his activity in the world, his activity in our lives. Uh, it's a way, it's, he's designed this into the universe. This is a principle, whether you, whether you think uh, it works for you or it doesn't work for you, it doesn't make any difference. This is a principle that he has designed into the universe. It's not based on your opinion. I don't understand all about God's answers. I know that he doesn't always answer the way I ask. But he has told me to pray. And that's about trusting him. How well do I know him? Do I, 
Can I really trust him? Uh, Prayer helps us see God at work. Uh, And prayer draws God's attention to our needs. He knows everything. But prayer draws God into our lives. That's a principle that he's designed. Luke 18.1, Jesus taught this to his disciples. Jesus told his disciples a parable about the unjust judge and and the widow who continues to cry to him night and day to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's, you know, that's what I'd like to leave you with today. Pray and don't give up. Always pray and don't give up. Some of you are praying for things and you get discouraged because they haven't been answered yet. Keep praying. Don't give up. Luke 18, verses 7 and 8. After the parable of the unjust judge and the widow who prays over and over again and the judge finally gives in, And here's what Jesus says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. You can count on that. Will it be in your your schedule? Maybe not. There will be justice. God will answer. I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And Jesus just slipped there from talking about God answering prayer to the Son of Man, and that's him. He is the Son of Man. And when he comes, when he comes a second time, will he find faith on earth? He's saying, am I going to find people who are praying when I come? Will there be people living out their faith? Are there going to be people trusting God's word? Do you believe, can you trust God with your life? The details, your jobs, your family, your your finances. Can you trust God with your health? Jesus is looking for people of faith who will trust him. So, obstacles to the gospel do not, uh, uh, obstacles to the gospel do impact God's work. And we saw that, that the church was persecuted. That was real pressure on the church, real difficulties, hard times. Uh, We don't know everything they experienced. We do know that James was executed. Stephen was executed. Peter was thrown in jail twice. Prayer does engage the action of God. It engages the action of God. No prayer does not engage the action of God. Prayer uh, engaged God to miraculously free Peter from prison. Thirdly, sometimes uh, God removes obstinate people in this life. Sometimes God removes obstinate people. He did with Herod. Remember that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he's going to ultimately execute justice on all evil. And you can trust that. You see, our job is just to live in a way that honors God. To bring, give him credit. Our job is to be an ambassador for Jesus to represent him well. And you know what? That includes prayer. Let's stand together.
Father, I thank you uh, for Acts uh, chapter 12 and for the opportunity to see you at work in the difficult situation of the church. Thank you that you are faithful to your promises. Thank you that you answer prayer. Thank you that we can entrust our lives into your hands even when the world around seems evil and it can be scary can feel unsafe, and yet we have you, and we can cast all our cares on you. Give us courage, give us hope, enable us to walk with you one day at a time for Jesus' sake. Amen.